Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. All right, I want to be in the book of Romans 12 today. Romans, book of Romans, chapter 12 is where I'm going to land for the message. So if you want to grab a Bible, it's towards the end of the Bible. While you're getting there, Romans 12, I want to ask you a question to lead into the message Here's the question. How many of you in the room, or if you're watching online, you have to jump up and down. How many of you love group projects? Raise your hand. A few of you. How many of you hate group projects? Raise your hand. Yes, I'm with you. Here's the, here, when I think of group projects, here's what I think of. I hearken back to my uh, high school, some of my college days. Group projects are like, hey, here's this great big assignment. Here's a whole bunch of random people. People, Here's a deadline. And in my experience, there are three someones in my groups all the time. You want to hear who they are? One someone is someone who's always dreaming. Oh, look at the possibilities. Oh, look at the weather. Oh, isn't today great? Here's all the things we can do but actually work on the project. I've always got a dreamer in my group. Somebody's always dreaming. And then there's also someone who always leaves. So yeah, somebody laughed at that one because here's what happens. Oh, here's this great big group project. We all can work on it. They're there for 37 seconds and then they're gone for the entire project. And then they come back in the last minute. Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm busy, this, that, and the other. But is there anything I can do now? Dude, the project's done. No, there's nothing you can do now except get credit for doing nothing, right? There's somebody who always leaves. And then the last someone is the someone who does all the work. If that's you, raise your hand. That's how I felt when I was doing group projects. I was the guy who seemingly did all the work. So you know what I thought? This would be just better if I did it alone, This would be better if I just did it myself. But guess what? Life is a big group project, and doing things yourself makes you tired. How many of you are tired this morning? More than one hand raised. Yeah. So I want to share this example of, at least in my life, where I thought, and I've done this many times, where I thought I was instead of Better Together, which is the series title, that I was better alone. And it has to do with a pond. I know it's a weird example, but there's a pond right next to my house. And this pond, when we moved in, was in great shape. And I don't know if you know anything about ponds, but it takes a little maintenance to keep a pond in good shape. And so we had this outside company helping us out. We still had to do some things, so it was like a group project, right? I had to maintain the outside, I had to do a couple things, but this company would come and they would just throw some chemicals in the pond and it would look beautiful. This is what it looks like when the pond is at its best. It's my son Jack on a, isn't that peaceful looking? It looks great. So here's what I thought after two years. I can do the whole thing myself. Why are you laughing already? You know, right? I don't need a company to just come dump some stuff in there. I can dump some stuff in there. I'm better alone. You want to see what my pond looked like the last two years? Here's a picture. 
right? Isn't that beautiful? You know what that is? That's duckweed. You know what you can do with duckweed? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it looks like that. It just looks terrible. That's what I get for believing that I was not better together, that I could do it on my own. See, life, I said this earlier, life is a great big group project. When God created the earth and he created man, and all throughout the story of the Bible, we are reminded that it's a book of invitation. It's a book of doing life together, that we're better together. It started all the way at the beginning of the Bible. God created Adam. Soon after he created Adam, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he creates Eve, a helper. He was not meant to do things alone. All throughout the Bible, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one, but they argue all the time. And they, Oh, no, 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 that's not the right version. No, no, no. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. All throughout Scripture... It says this. Notice it doesn't say that God created you to live in a cave for the rest of your life. It doesn't say God created you to do all the work at work. God created you to do everything at home because no one else is helping. No, God created you as part of a bigger story. And part of that bigger story is we're better together in the midst of it. So here's the question. Is there an area of your life, and I'm asking this myself, is there an area of your life where you feel like you're better alone instead of better together? Now, I get that there's times at which we need alone time, but when we get this wrong, and when I get this wrong, when I think I can do this better alone than better together, we start inviting the no ones into our brain. Here's what I mean by that. When we start believing that we're the one to do everything, we start running this tape that says no one is going to understand this. No one's going to want to help me. No one is going to come do it right. And those no ones, when we let them in our brain, make it really hard for us because we get tired and things get piled on our shoulders and we try to carry a load we're not meant to carry. So is there an area of your life where you falsely believe that you're better alone when really we're better together? I'm finishing up the series, Better Together. It's been a small series. And the series was born from this term, Better Together, that we've been using around the vineyard for about the last 18 months. And the way I'm going to finish this series today is I think a foundational element I want to leave with us, the church. And it seems so obvious when I say it, but I think it's really, really important. And so I want to dig deep into it today. If we really want to be better together, we have to find value in others. We have to find value in others. It seems so obvious. Duh. But I think when we look at the scripture in Romans 12 today, there's a couple of things that I have not gotten right. And likely, many of us, if we think of our home life, work life, school life, church life, we have room for improvement 
in finding value in other people and inviting them into a story you got invited into. So with that, I want to read Romans 12, starting in verse 3. It's just four verses. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, in those four verses, there's a ton of things that I'd love to talk about today, but there's two that I think, at least for me when I read it, can help us find value in other people. Before I hit those two, let me pray. So, Father, I need this message as much as anybody here. So I pray, God, that today that you help us hear your words. So soften our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to what, Father, you would have us hear. Because we're better together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, on your program, on the back side of it, a couple fill in the blanks. And when I hit these two things, the first is this, checking, uh, finding value in others means checking my level of self-importance. If you're going to find value in other people, you've got to check your level of self-importance. Romans 12.3 says this, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, I've read that verse many times this week. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment. What does sober judgment actually mean? How do I put that in practice? Some other versions of the Bible say, think sensibly about yourself. And so when I, when I think through that, times at which I think I've done that well and times that I haven't, Here's what I think. If we have a view of ourselves that is way too large, we have the opportunity to miss the very thing that we've been praying for to actually come true. When we think that we've got this overinflated view of us, God might be sending help along the way, the very thing that you've been praying for, but because you think that you have to carry the load, you've missed what God sent as an answer. Does that resonate with anybody in the room? One person, good. God uses other people to help out. And when, and when we don't have a sober judgment of who we are, and what we are meant to accomplish, we could miss him. And I've done this in my life. Uh, many of you know uh, I spent a better part of my career in healthcare, specifically one hospital here in town. And I was the computer guy at the hospital for uh, a better part of 10, 15 years. And uh, as I moved up the ranks at the hospital in the computer department. The last year I was there, they asked me to, how crazy is this, to run the hospital, because of some mergers that were going on, they asked me to run the hospital for a year. 
How crazy is that, asking the computer guy to run the hospital? But they did. And so I was excited. It was a a big leap for me, and it it was a temporary assignment. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get this great title. Do you know what titles attract? Problems. (laughs) Titles are like a magnet to problems. And so I did not do this well. The first couple of months, I thought, oh, I've got this title. I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and people are going to be happy doing it, and they weren't, and it attracted problems. I skinned my knee. It was not a great two months. And I realized two months into it, I have got to sort of shift and do something different. And so I started praying more, and and, uh, as I was reading the Bible, what I realized is maybe I could serve people. Like, I don't know how to do medicine, but I do know how to help people out. And so what I started to do, and I wasn't perfect at it, but I would start just trying to help people out. So I'd go to the emergency room. It's really busy in the emergency room. I don't know emergency medicine, but here's what I do know. Nurses are incredibly busy there. So busy, in fact, that sometimes they don't get lunch. And so I'd go down and I'd hang out. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's crazy. I'd buy them lunch. And, And then, did you know that if you want to know what's going on in a company, go to the custodial staff. They got it going on. They know what's going on in the organization. Some of my greatest learning in the year that I led the hospital came from a small group of custodial staff in the basement of the hospital. Getting to know who they were, what their lives were like, and see if I could help them out. Some of the greatest learning came from them. It, it, was, it was an awakening for me of sober judgment. But a title doesn't do it. Serving well is so much better. Here's another way to say it. If the leaders of the company, leaders of the church, the leaders are, if the leaders were the only ones doing the work, how much would get done? Not much. And actually, in the, in the uh, story of the Bible, all throughout, God does not choose the leader of nations to do his greatest miracles, to do his greatest things. They all had opportunity to join the story, but God didn't come and say, oh, you're the leader of this huge nation. You're the one I'm going to choose. No, he didn't do that. He chose lowly people and selected them and invited them into the story to use their gifts and advance the kingdom. You can write this down. God's greatest moments came through ordinary, sober-minded followers serving others. Read the Bible. Like all throughout the Bible, it's regular people that God seemingly taps on the shoulder and says, I'm going to choose you. Here's some examples. Moses stood up in front of people and stuttered, yet God chose him to free the Israelites. David was lowly, was the runt of the family, yet killed a giant, became a, God, uh, became a man after God's own heart. Jesus, the Savior of the world, was a carpenter. And I love this. Jesus had all the power to do whatever he wanted to do. 
And here's what he did. You can, this is, there's not a space on your program for this, but Matthew 20, 28 is the scripture. This is Jesus, who could have done anything, said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus could have done anything as a leader, and instead he, his, his chosen task was to serve others. Jesus chose 12 disciples and invited them in, and they were normal, ordinary, unschooled men. Does does this resonate? Am I connecting with you today? Does this resonate over here? Yes. Okay, I've got a couple of affirmations. You can talk back to me. It's okay. Right? This, This is a big deal. He's choosing normal people. We're a whole bunch of normal people. He's choosing us. Thinking we have everything we need, we're too busy, or we're the ones that have to do it, is not doing what God intended. And it could put us in a dangerous position. You know, even the 12 disciples, uh, they were chosen, and uh, they were normal, unschooled, ordinary men. But even there was a time that they got this inflated view of themselves, and they argued, hey, which one of us is the greatest? Mark 9 says this, this is Jesus, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. Pause. I have three boys. When I, when I want to get real serious, I sit down and I call my boys in to have a discussion. I think this is a point where Jesus is like, hey, we're going to pause life for a minute because you need to hear something. And he said to them, the disciples, if any One would be first. He must be last of all and servant of all. You can write this down. Being sober-minded means serving others well. That's what being sober-minded, that's what means uh, 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 thinking sensibly about yourself. It means that you have a correct view of your capabilities. You are not all that, and you can serve just like everyone else. You're not too busy. Situation's not too messy. So here's a question. Am I serving others well? It's a question I'm asking myself. Am I serving really? Are you serving others well? Or do you have an inflated view of your time? Here's an opportunity. If you're not serving We have hundreds of children that come to Vineyard Kids, and we have a great children's ministry. They have 20 openings. It's giving back an hour of time to help kids who don't know Jesus have a smile in front of them. So before you leave today, if if you're like, I think I can give an hour back uh, or two hours a month, stop at the resource center. There's little cards, fill them out. Or at Easter, Easter morning, we're going to invite a ton of kids from around the community to do this Easter egg hunt. Many of these kids don't know who Jesus is. They just need a smiling face on the Saturday of Easter weekend to help out. That could be you. Are you certain? And this is, this is not to fill slots. That's not my intent. But my intent is, can you stop and think, are you serving people well? Or are you too important? I've made that mistake. 
Finding value in others, first of all, is checking my level of self-importance. The second thing that will help us find value in others, encouraging others' gifts and talents. You can write that down, encouraging others' gifts and talents. Going back to Romans 12, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And we have different gifts. Paul uses this metaphor of a body, of a physical body. When he talks about all of us together, he's using this metaphor of a body. And which is interesting to me when I look at my body, I look at my hands and I value them. I look at my feet and I value them. Even though I'm a little sore today because I worked outside yesterday. Who's sore today because you worked outside? Yeah, a couple of you. Right, but you still value that hand that you just raised. And so, in Romans, it's saying that we're all together. We need to value one another like we're part of the same body. If, when we get this wrong, when we don't do this well, and we say, oh, I'll just do it. Like, I don't have the time. I'll just, I'll just do it. Because I know better. I'm, I'm better. I don't have the time Here's the reality. You might be robbing someone else of the very opportunity God gave them to express their gifts. You might be silently telling them, I don't need you. That's a harsh statement to to tell someone, I don't need you. Oh, but Steve, they're not going to do a good job. It's going to take too long. It's going to create a mess. I don't have that kind of time. Here's a thought for you. Someone let you express your gifts. Who are we to not let others express theirs? Who are we not to invite them in, encourage the gifts that God gave them? Many years ago, someone uh, allowed me to express the gift of music. I'm not a great musician, but I love music. A little over 20 years ago at the local hospital, somebody saw something in me, I don't know what, and invited me to lead a small group of people. They invited me in. Five and a half years ago, Pastor Mark, lead pastor here at the church, invited me to give a message, share giving a message on a weekend. So who am I to say, I'll just do it on my own? I got invited. Someone invited you to express your gifts and what you're doing. Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You want to know how to communicate value? Man, y'all. You want to know how to communicate value? (laughs) Invitations communicate value. You can write that down. Invitations communicate value. When someone invites you to a wedding, they don't just want the gift that you're going to bring. They value enough to say, hey, come be part of our story. Come be part of a big day in our lives because we value you. When someone invites you to dinner, it's because they value enough that they want to hang out with you. I want to stretch this a little further. Jesus Christ invited you into his story 
And when you said yes to him, he invited you to spend the rest of your life and eternity in the comfort of heaven and with him. So when we say and we look at other people and we're like, man, your life is sort of a mess. When we hand them an invitation to, would you come with me to church? You are communicating value to say, there's something that I know about that could benefit you, that could change the trajectory of your life. Would you come with me to church? It's communicating value. It's just not coming to hang out in a building. It's coming to worship the living God. That's a good point, Steve. (laughs) The entire Bible is an invitation for us to join in. Jesus looked at the 12 disciples. If I would have been in the story, I'm just being honest, I probably wouldn't have picked those 12. But for some reason, Jesus looked at them, saw value in them, and invited them in, and they changed a bunch of people's lives. They advanced the gospel in a beautiful way. Jesus saw their value. I don't always do this well. I want to share a story uh, with someone here at the church. And I get this is not a whole church thing because we have to find value in other people to express those gifts outside of the church. But I want to share this because I didn't do this particularly uh, well over a year ago, but I think the outcome became beautiful. And the story has to do with uh, someone here at the church. Uh, Her name is Bonnie Spraker. Bonnie Spraker. This is Bonnie and her husband, Gary. They went to Wicked. How cool is that? Uh, If you know Bonnie, uh, Bonnie is actually in the room right now, but if you know Bonnie, she is a prayer warrior, and she is uh, a wonderful, wonderful, good-hearted person. She loves prayer, and she came to me because I lead the prayer ministries, uh, and she came to me, I think this was a little over a year ago, and she said, Steve, I have the faith for praying for the nations, praying for governments. I have that faith, and this isn't word for word, but that's essentially what she said, and in my brain, I did not do this well, in my brain, because I lead the Tuesday group, uh, at the time I was like, man, uh, okay, and she's like, I want the Tuesday group to be praying for the nations, to be praying in this direction as well, and I started this script, I don't know how that's going to work, because we're busy with the stuff that we're praying on, and I don't know if I have that, like it, I just didn't click with that desire, and I communicated to Bonnie, these weren't the exact words, but I essentially communicated to Bonnie, we don't need you. Even though praying for the nations is a beautiful thing, it should be done, but my communication to Bonnie, I think both verbally and non-verbally was, I don't need you. We don't need that, even though you have faith for it, we don't need it. Now, one of the beautiful things about Bonnie, if you know her, is she has tenacity, Some of you know her because you're laughing, right? She's wonderful at this. She has this gift of, I'm going to stick with it. In a really super respectful way, she did. And we kept this dialogue going. uh, And she said, well, what about... What about an email list? And I, she said, I'll put together this email thing and on the prayer points that people should be praying about and we'll send it out. I was like, yeah, Bonnie, do that thing. And she did, and it's grown. And it's even grown outside the vineyard. Like, it's a beautiful thing. And then she said, you know what? What if I do a group and we call it, I think it's praying for the nations. 
And it's a beautiful praying group of people praying for the nations, and I don't have to lead it. And it's doing awesome. And I think part of the bigger story of this is a realization that not everything at the church with prayer had to go through me. Think about that for a second in your own context. Because when you get this right, what happens is what happened here. On Wednesday nights now, we have a prayer group that prays for the students. On uh, Sunday afternoons, just in a little bit, up in the prayer room, there'll be a group of young adults praying for young adults. On Thursday, there's a group of people that now come and pray for revival. Like prayer has mushroomed, and part of that story is because of the tenacity of Bonnie and that invitation of, hey, maybe we can do something different. Maybe Steve doesn't have to carry the entire load. I get it. It's not just a church thing, right? It's a church example. But uh, uh, if I go back to the marketplace, there was a gentleman that I worked with. He wanted to know how to run the computer department. And so for years, I just poured into him. I just would invite him to things, invite him to meetings, invite him to do some of the work. You know who's leading the computer department right now at that hospital? That guy. At home. I have three boys. I try to invite them to various things. Invite them to do car maintenance, if I'm doing car maintenance. Invite them to mow the lawn. Uh, (laughs) But... (laughs) But I try to include them so I can see their gifts. I can communicate you're valuable. I don't just need you to need you. You're valuable. We are better together. We can't do all this alone. So I want us to ask this question. Who am I inviting to share their gifts? Who am I inviting to share their gifts? I want you to think about that. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your occupation. Some of you are stay-at-home parents. You have neighbors that have gifts that can probably help. Right as soon as I said that, I didn't say this to the other services. When I was uh, growing up, this is the benefit of the last service. You get these tangents. When I was growing up, my mother, uh, mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry, uh, she didn't like pulling teeth. And so the neighbor would come over who had faith, who didn't care if I was writhing in pain, would, pull our t- would literally pull our teeth. You have neighbors that are willing to help out and have faith for stuff that you don't. It just takes an invitation. That's a silly story. <laughs> Here's the vision of Better Together. Here's, here's why we spent three weeks on this, and this is my heart, to see the value of other people. To, to realize that we need to have sober judgment of ourselves, but also encourage one another's gift. And, and my drive in this today is for us really to be a church. This is my prayer for us together, that we're a church. When we look at other people, we realize that God planted something in them. He planted gifts and talents in that person. We should not minimize them. We should not tell them that they're not valuable. We should not tell them that they are not needed. And I want to be part of a church that looks at other people and their gifts like little embers of a fire, and we blow on those embers, and so those gifts and talents can be expressed both in the church and outside the church. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I really believe this, that if Jesus walked into the room right now and he started listing and communicating and saying, here's the talent that we have in the room, 
Here's what the potential is. And he started reading line by line. There's not enough hours in the day that it would take for him to read that list. I think we would all end up weeping on the floor if we realized the potential that's sitting around us. And I want to be part of a church that says we're better together. We're better if we do this thing together. We're better if I can express those gifts outside the church in the marketplace because the world needs people who love Jesus, who express their gifts in the marketplace and at home. We are better together. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.